I am 100% sure that the people and the community who will actually unlock the real metaverse would be the video game developers. That's the only way to make it happen. We're the only ones who've been creating those virtual worlds for like 20, 30 years already. And it's always about, first about the narrative, the creativity, and then the technology. But they have both to exist. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. I'm your host, Donna Laughlin, and over the last 20 years, I brought more than 500 companies across the globe to market with my strategic PR agency in Silicon Valley. So I know a thing or two about a great story. On this podcast, I'll take you behind the scenes with visionaries from an array of industries and philosophies who are shaping our future. Grab your passport and let's go on a journey together. Our guest this week, Vlad Penchenko, is a lifelong gamer and technologist who understands the gaming industry from the inside out. For nearly as long as he's been gaming, he's been building mega platforms to connect gamers with each other and enable trading and in-app purchasing, essential community assets that hook users and help fuel the exponential growth of this $800 billion ecosystem. His current company is in the hot tech space of metaverse building a topic we've been fascinated with ever since our first episodes on gaming, blockchain, and cryptocurrencies aired. DMarket is a blockchain-based marketplace to trade virtual systems and technology for building metaverses and a go-to community for brands, influencers, video games, esports, organizations, broadcasters, and entertainment industry developers. With over 3 million active users, the platform also connects an ecosystem of about 10 million gamers trading about 6 million in digital transactions a month. Now that's a lot of gaming swag. Vlad spoke to us from his adopted home of Santa Monica, California, 10,000 kilometers from his homeland of Ukraine. Let's find out how his roots shaped who he is today and how his love for his country continues to influence the lives of countless Ukrainians fighting the war back home. I was born pretty long time ago in uh, 1984. So definitely there was a still a Soviet Union and Ukraine was part of it. Do I remember it a lot? No. I still remember something I've seen on the TV, like how it was falling apart and everything. But um, then it was Ukraine. My mother and father both worked and still work in the movie industry and in television. Uh, mother, uh, like a sound producer, father, like a director. And uh, at the moment when I just was born, with all the circumstances, it wasn't like the best business-wise, let's say, profession, but it was very interesting and entertaining. So you, you inherited some of that creativity. I actually worked for some years with my father because when I got to the university, I wanted to live by myself and thus I had to make some dollars. So I was looking for a job and actually my first job, I think it was, yeah, 11th grade, my last year at school, I was translating video games because at that time in former Soviet Union countries and in Ukraine as well, there was no option of buying legally any video games. So, um, 
community, uh, how it's pronounced now, but at that time they were called pirates, were pirating video games, but they couldn't sell them because nobody was translating them to Russian, Ukrainian, or any other local language. So I was hired by such a company who were like just illegally copying video games and selling them on the territory, but they needed somebody to translate from English to Ukrainian and Russian, and that was me, and that was my first job. Uh, how old were you? Uh, I think like 16, last year in my school. It was a little bit devastating job because I have never seen or heard that afterwards because my salary was calculated by kilobytes of text, which I generated by translating the video games every day. And uh, it was probably like 50 bucks, I mean, per month, something like that. But Wow. So you were paid by the hours of the coding and the, like you said you were translating. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of hours. That's what's crazy. Uh, all my uh, free time in between like school and sleep, I was translating video games. However, then afterwards when I was playing them, it was a lot of fun because I could see because it wasn't just me translating like the whole game, but there were lots of people who were, like given the pieces of it. And when you play the game and you see that like the whole thing was created by you and the narrative was translated by you, that was the first, um, let's say, inspiration for me from the gaming industry. So what type of equipment did you have? What type of you know uh, computers? Did you have laptops or did you have just no, no. standalone? I mean, what, what did you have access to? That was a standalone computer. Well, actually, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> That's probably too far away in time, but still. The first computers I've seen, they were uh, like on my grandpa's job. But the first I got at home, that was like PC, Pentium 2, 400, I think was. And that's how everything started because I, I, for example, everything I did and used and all the software and the games I was playing in English because I just wanted to learn the language this way. And it helped me a lot along the way, for example. And so the translation of the games, I couldn't do it without the computer. So computer and internet, that's what probably opened that door of business creativity, which is still driving me. I mean, did you find that gaming translating and then being a gamer actually helped you with your problem solving and preparation going into college? I mean, there are certain skills that can be transformational dexterity, kind of the thinking and skills. And, you know, there's some good things, but there's also some bad things. Uh, it definitely helped me to become the person I am right now. It definitely helped me to understand the world, which is coming. It brought the idea that tomorrow the technology is going to change the world and I have to be there. So this is how it definitely helped in those days and today. However, I, I still remember the story where my mother, when going to work, she was hiding the keyboard for me so that I don't play video games, uh, do my homework. But I quickly got the second one and actually that new. That I have a, uh, the second one, but he said, like, as, as long as I have good grades, he's not going to tell mom. So that was how it worked. So I was still playing all the time I could, but I was still doing good at school so that mom doesn't know that I play so much. It's kind of the international code, I think, of parenting. <laughs> <laughs> if you excel at school, you can have your, your, your games. So you go off to college, you study history. And what did you find in your exploration of, of that degree that you apply to kind of your entrepreneurial self? Lots of things. And they still develop every day. But it all started with history because studying history, I understood and 
I'm just getting more and more in my life that everything is cyclical. And we as humans, we don't change even in a thousand years. It takes millions of years to change. So this is what history taught me. And this is what helps me to understand what is going to happen tomorrow, next year, in five years. And thus, to plan how to get to my dreams quicker. What brought you to United States? How far after the university did you come to the U.S.? And was it gaming that brought you here? The first time, nope. But I knew from the very beginning that um, I'm pretty much ambitious and then I'm going to build one by one by one bigger and bigger companies. And the biggest one, they could be built only on the U.S. soil. So lots of choices I made in my life, they were made with that sort uh, in mind. Because when I started in 2008 training video games in digital form, I was doing that from Ukraine. I was just the first one to realize that we can do that in digital form, not just ship the boxes, but just trade the codes. And I was probably one of the first in Ukraine to realize how eBay works, how PayPal works, and etc. Maybe 2012 or something. On the parallel with trading games, I was helping my father to do the documentaries about professional sportsmen, like boxers, football players, and such, like Klitschko, Shevchenko. So at that time, uh, he asked me, uh, because I was speaking English fluently, I knew how everything works, etc. He asked me to come with the crew to the U.S. and help them out to do the whole shooting of American boxer who was going to box with Klitschko's. So that was my first time when I was at Florida in the U.S. What was your impression, your first trip? Well, it's always like the movie because everything you've seen in the movies and the TV shows, then like you land, you exit the airport and you are in the movie. Everything you've seen and like America looks like nothing else, nothing else in the world very specific like how it looks like and i'm not just talking about like new york or san francisco but every other city town so that was a lot of fun and the the feeling that i'm part of the show or the movie was like for a week or maybe even two interesting so you came with your father to assist with this documentary but in this process were you meeting up with other entrepreneurs or other gamers that then inspired you to go from the two companies that you've had. So you had the SunTech Soft and then you had Skins Cash and then ultimately where you are today with DMarket. I've been on many conferences, gaming conferences around the world. E3 in LA, GTC in San Francisco, Gamescom in Cologne in Germany because of uh, the business. And I've been talking to a lot of game developers, gamers. I've seen a lot of games years before they even launched them. So that definitely shaped the way I was thinking, what we can do, how should we do that, and how to achieve what I'm actually dreaming of. It wasn't <laughs> always a fun journey because the first months that my account on eBay was blocked, still I can't sell anything on eBay because at that time there was a rule. They forbid to trade anything digital, only physical. And I was constantly, let's say, bending the rules. Like when I called to eBay to like ask questions, uh, there was a person who was my name, the history, and everything. But still, they still don't allow me to trade anything because they banned me like in 2008 for trading digital goods, which was illegal at that time. And um, with PayPal, was more or less the same. So I lost all the money I borrowed from my friends to start trading games. I lost all the accounts. So it wasn't always a happy and nice like going up story. But I knew that it's working. The world is changing. So it took me years, but I actually built the company, which 
at some point was training millions and millions of digital game copies a year. And I was officially buying them from like code masters in Europe. And I was wiring them like $300,000. And they were sending me like email with Excel with just the codes. Can you clarify, was that Skins Cash? No, no, that was before. What was the, What is the company that you're referring to? That's uh, the Suntech Soft Company and the Global Games. Okay, great. So where were you when you made the conviction to decide, you know what, I'm coming to the United States permanently and I'm going to create a business that is going to be riding the wave of not Web 2.0, which was the generation in your teens, but to now as we enter the Web 3.0. When did you make that conscious decision? I think it was 2012 or 14. I was first time in Santa Monica in LA. And I posted the photo saying that that's the perfect city where I, I'd really like to live, like to stay and uh, to make business and then to make a family and etc. And then I realized much, much, much later, probably lots of my decisions, like the small ones, were attached to that uh, wish. That's step number one. And then I was heavily involved in trading Bitcoin. I remember the uh, white paper I was reading and the ICO of Ethereum as well, where I took part. And then I was reading more and more and more technical white papers, white papers, and thinking, like, every time I was coming home from work, I was reading those uh, papers and thinking what could be done, how, and such. But for months, maybe like six months, I didn't connect that like a hobby to the actual work I do. And then there was like midsummer sparkle when I just, uh, I was sitting at work and thinking, damn, how, I'm a gamer myself. I really want to own some items, trade them, build something on top of it. It would be nice to have that. And then like, wait a second, we can actually do that. There is a technology for that. And this is how everything started with the market. But um, that was a pretty long and painful pass along to that. So you were pretty early on in the Bitcoin era. You were reading these papers and this content's being published. Had you made the connection in your crypto buying and selling with the gaming community at this point, or is that yet to come? It was yet to come. It was something what I was doing already with Skins Cash. And I, and as I just said, as a hobby, and it took me time to realize that something I've been dreaming about and I've been actually building. And I think it was different things. Like, for example, I've been getting lots of emails from customers of Skins Cash and telling me the stories, why they're using it, how it helped them. And I said, well, I'd like to scale that to even more games and like to the whole gaming industry. And I was thinking, how can I do that? And with my, with my right hand and with my left hand, I was scrolling the screen and reading another technical white paper. And at some point, it's just like, wait a second. So this is how it came along. But it, it was just like a, something I was doing, something I was dreaming about, and something I was actually studying. And then it connected. Hey there, it's Donna. I want to invite you to go check out some of our past conversations with game changers and innovators who are shaping our future. Like legendary engineer Al Alcorn, who launched the entire gaming industry when he invented Pong in the 1970s, and who also mentored Steve Jobs early in his career. I see an an original Pong arcade machine sitting there, and there's a young man playing, and I'm guessing he was 10 or 11, playing it by himself. So I went over and I said, hey, I'll play with you. And so I'm playing with him and I'm beating him. And I said, you know, at one point, I was the best Pong player in the world. 
And he looked at me and he said, no. I go, yeah, I was the only Pong player in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I learned something, actually a lot of somethings every time I talk to a new guest. They're pioneers. They're thought leaders in their fields. They all have inspiring stories to tell. And I share them with you every week. So if you're enjoying these episodes, please hit subscribe and join me for more stories about the moments before it happened. So let's break it down a little bit because then I really want to dig into D-Market. So for those who don't know, Metaverse and Web 3.0, they coexist, right? In terms of we're in the Web 3.0 era and Metaverse, what is your definition of the Metaverse? For me, the Metaverse is a matrix. In short, the real Metaverse is a matrix. The way we've seen it in the movie, this is the Metaverse. The real Metaverse is when we can actually create virtual worlds, exist there, communicate there, create there, make a living there, and then create another world. That's the Metaverse for me. It was the, like, the 100% experience. Like when you're dreaming, all like they, they did in the Matrix was plugging you in, and then everything you feel or touch, like in the real life. That's the Metaverse. And I honestly believe that we live in the virtual world. It was just not created by us. So we're destined to create another one and another one and another one. So I've been reading tons and I'm still reading tons of sci-fi books and watching the shows and the movies. And I have like the clear understanding what I want to happen, that we would be able to create those virtual worlds, experience them and co-create over there. Well, is there a specific sci-fi book that kind of, that we all should be reading that gives us better understanding? You know what? I thought about that question and I've, I've, I got it uh, already a couple of times, but um, I, I've decided not to give a specific book because uh, when we talk about like the snow crash and uh, Neil, who invented the word uh, metaverse, did that change a lot? Maybe, but maybe probably more than Neuromancer, but maybe even more the anime, the Japanese cartoons. This is where I first saw that I want this to be like that, and I'm going to make it happen. It's just something which exists inside me, which believes that this virtual world is something so great that we really need to create it, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it quicker and deliver it quicker. So with all that, thoughts and books and the businesses I've been doing was translating and channeling something physical into virtual and backwards. At some point, and as I said, I remember that was the summer 2017 when I realized that the technologies I've been reading about, investing, even coding sometimes, it can actually unlock another level, another boss to the actual happy ending with the metaverse. But we have still lots of levels to conquer. So let's go into the gaming world. And the, the need. So in terms of the problem that, that D-Market is, describe the problem that you're solving and why it is essential for this to be happening. Because, you know, we're going to talk about the future of, you know, blockchain as a platform. We talk about crypto. You know, you don't need crypto for blockchain, but you need blockchain for crypto. We've talked about the gaming market industry and segment. And so there's lots of different layers here. But 
in terms of the need and the marketplace, when we look at the next generation gaming, you know, environment. I mean, what is happening within the gaming arena that gamers need to come together and trade and collaborate that they couldn't do prior? First, and this is a fun thought which came to my mind not that long time ago. First, we had to read those sci-fi books when we were kids. I've seen interviews of Bezos or Musk, and I realized that we've been actually reading the same books, dreaming of the same things. And at some point in your life, when you have the tools, the possibilities, and the crystals to try to make it happen, you just will. So that's what, from my standpoint, is first. At the end of the story is the virtual world in the good way matrix or something like that. But in the middle of it, one of the levels we had to unlock was the blockchain because that's just the tool for us to own something in virtual worlds, to trade it, and to build something on top of it. Could we do that without it? Yes. And we did that with other games, like, for example, Roblox. But could that scale to the metaverse? Not at all. And I'm a big fan of Roblox. They're great people, but I just need more. Same thing with the with Web3. In general, this is a step for humanity. And like, like we have to start owning what we create online and then start actually profiting from that for them, build something on top of that as the community, as the humankind. So has that had to happen? Definitely. But that's just one step on the way to the virtual world. And the market, well, what we're doing and what we did, and where we're heading to, we build the best possible and the most convenient marketplace for gamers in the world. I am 100% sure that the people and the community who will actually unlock the real metaverse would be the video game developers. That's the only way to make it happen. We're the only ones who've been creating those virtual worlds for like 20, 30 years already. And it's always about... First, about the narrative, the creativity, and then the technology. But they have both to exist. So what we are doing with Demarket, we build the technology for the gamers and the game developers to own and trade items. So can you describe a transaction of something that could be traded? Well, you can trade, for example, you're running in the game in a very nice, like, green, pink, I don't know, with some stamps of esports team. But then you like you want new ones. You go to the marketplace. You can trade them to other gamer. You can swap them to some other gloves. And then when the next time you will play the game, everybody else will see how nice are your new gloves. By the way, actually, usually like most of the transactions, users are swapping not just one item from the outfit, but the whole outfit to outfit thing. So that's what we do. And I think it's a very human thing to do. Because at the moment, games started to become social networks where we spend time with friends when we achieve something, when we have fun, when, when we show off. This is where items trading and how you look like. It's actually something what you can express to everybody else. I want you to walk us through what the experience is for gamer. I, I sign up for DMarket and join the community. Can you walk us through what it is, the experience? How do I find you, first of all? And then what is that experience and any transaction? You know, do I pay a fee? Is it a membership? How it looks on the market, uh, you run the game, you launch the game, you start playing it, and then you get some item, for example, for free. It gets your inventory. 
And then when you're playing a game, you open up the inventory, you see the item. And clicking on an item, you can either use it or sell it in the marketplace. You can sell it right away if there is somebody right now willing to buy it, or you can put it with some price in the marketplace. And then it's like an eBay experience, but in built in real life. You're, just, you're walking by, you're playing the game or doing something, you like something, you just click, you buy it. It gets you inventory. You don't like it or you want to swap it, exchange it, you can do that. From the standpoint of uh, this the security and everything, that's the biggest thing we've been solving right now. And actually, I think who solves it quicker opens up the uh, battle with the genie because everything that happens right now with the blockchain and Web3, it requires lots of blockchain crypto and Web3 skills from you to actually trade or own something. So are you mitigating, you know, risk? I mean, there's two things that I constantly hear in blockchain is the security of the content and the authenticity, right? And then the mitigating of risk. For the gamer, is that ultimately you're providing is a safe platform for this trading activity. Gamer to gamer, peer to peer, trust to trust, authentic trading. Is that ultimately what you're doing? 100%. And I'll tell you more. As long as you're in the game, or in the ecosystem of the game developer who created a couple of games. There is no way how your items could be stolen. This is how we build it. However, having the whole like freedom of Web3, at every moment, you can just withdraw your item from the gaming inventory and inventory of the ecosystem to your cold wallet or any other wallet. And from that moment, it becomes your responsibility. But before that, while it's within the game or the ecosystem or the marketplace, we take the responsibility and we help you with all these steps along the way to trade it and to be safe. So is there artificial intelligence or deep learning within the algorithm of your platform? Oh, like a lot, but it depends what you're looking at. So for example, there is an algorithm which decides which items you will actually see when you come to the website. There's an algorithm which can actually predict six months ahead the prices of the items to give you the better price and the better prediction of what's going to happen with your item. So lots of things. But uh, coming back to uh, like NFTs and Web3, as far as I know, and I've seen the statistics, um, a lot of trades on the marketplaces of NFTs are, uh, are not the original NFTs. That's just the copycats or scams and et cetera. So, and I know a couple of companies, like great companies who are doing right now AI, which is actually telling you right away whether this is authentic or not. But for us in the video games industry, it's not that relevant because uh, uh, while you are within the, the ecosystem of the game, uh, we know that the item is authentic. When you get it out, and then when you come back, we check whether it's authentic or not. And when it is, we'll add it into the, the game. If it's not, it's just not gonna get there. This is the same how it all started with the codes for video games. It's like a scratch card for the at and It's either it, it, it is in our database and we allow that item to get in, or it's just not. So let's talk about NFTs because the non-fungible tokens do put the power back into the developer. We've seen it in the entertainment industry and we've seen it in music industry and art, right? And more and more people within these creative areas, in this case, the developers are now using NFTs to be able to show their authenticity. Did it take the gaming community longer to adopt this? First of all, most of the gamers today they hate NFTs. If you are a game developer and you say like, oh, we will do NFTs, they will just cancel you on Twitter and that's it. That's the other tools we have. Why do we have that? Because most of the projects which did games with NFTs, 
just scam people of, out of their money and that's it. So what I would advise if, for example, like fast forward, uh, like uh, with a time machine to somebody today, what to think about while creating the game, like all the items in the world, they're just the technology. The marketplace we provide, it, it's the best in the world. It's like the blood of all the Web3 and Metaverse, but still it couldn't fly without the creativity. So the game and the creative part comes first. We haven't still seen any AAA game title using the technology of NFTs and blockchain. There was no proof point of that for now. I hope in the next 12 months we will see that, but it's not yet here. So my advice, especially clearly understanding the situation right now, would be not to be obsessed about the items or NFT or blockchain per se, but keep in mind them as a beautiful new technology which opens up new doors for your creativity to deliver the actual experience for the gamers. So what advice do you have for people who want to become game developers? You know, how do you start? For me, the creation of the successful video game is a magical moment. Really, it's magic. Why? And recently, and I've been asking that question in the community a lot, when you as a game developer start creating a game, first of all, it would be done in five years. It takes from four to five years to create a great game. Secondly, in those five years, you have to constantly learn about new technologies because there's even a good chance that the engine you started to use to build the game will be outdated at the moment you will be releasing the game and you will have to switch in the middle. And everybody in the producing team has to learn as well. From like the developers, the narrative, from the technology, QA, everybody, like the little details of everything, the polygons, the, the engine, everything is changing and constantly and by a lot. So that's why it's so much more difficult to create the successful games. This is why I adore those people who were able to produce that magical moment. And we're trying to push them harder to create even more of those with the technology. But still, getting back to your question, for those who try, keep in mind, this is the technology. First comes the story, the narrative, and the actual entertainment. Where do you think the market is going next? in terms of, you know, the average gamer being in their mid-30s? Is it going to be a younger market? Is it going to be an older market? What do you kind of predict in the next 10, 20 years where the gaming phenomena will be? Uh, First of all, one of the things I adore in video games is that when we play a game, we don't care, like, who is behind the screen. So there's, like, like, everything is, we just care about you like a person, and that's it. We don't care about anything. That's, that's a total inclusion. This is what I like. Yeah, breaks down barriers. Yes, and lots of people are against the globalization, but globalization and technology helped me to build the businesses and serve tens of millions of hundreds of millions of clients. Because if not PayPal, if not eBay, if not the global banking system, for example, I wouldn't be able to create that. If not the gaming engines and etc. And what inspires me that all those things they connect people all around the world. Because even playing Roblox and you're buying something from the other game developer within the game, and you don't know whether he's sitting somewhere far away in India or right here next door somewhere in San Francisco. Technology and video games becoming social networks, they just 
connect us in one universe and potentially in the metaverse. This is what I like about it and what I adore. Then coming back to your question, what's going to happen next? Right now, all the younger, well, as long as parents allow them, all the younger generation, they play games. And it starts with like from Minecraft and Roblox, and then it comes to everything else. And um, I like it because the things, for example, I've seen people build Minecraft. I mean, my beliefs in humanity has grown like 10 times, tenfold, after I've seen what people been able to build in the video game, just like with the tools and the creativity they have in mind. So 100% more people will be joining the video games industry. And one more thing is, which is going to happen, it's going to melt and dissolve and absorb actual everyday life. At the moment, for example, Apple will release their AR glasses, which will look nice, but we will be able to see something on top of the reality. When I meet you and we're both in the glasses and I can see a nice parrot on your shoulder, like just a fun one, and we're laughing about it, and it's a great thing. And is this a, is, is this a gaming industry? For me, yes. But from the standpoint of the business, it's maybe it's not. But what I'm saying that within the next 10 years, it's going to absorb a lot of parts of our actual everyday life, and uh, it's going to happen probably much quicker than 10 years. Right. What do you think we're going to learn from the gaming community now? that can be applied to other businesses? As a humankind, we will learn how to better communicate, how to better translate like to other people your thoughts, your business ideas, and how to share your creativity. And this is what's going to be pushed by the gaming industry like a lot, and I'm happy that it's going to happen because the things you've been talked about, like... The heavy industry, the for example, the HoloLens, which they have a lot, help a lot, but at the moment they start selling millions of hundreds of millions of those devices, and everybody will use it. It will be another step and step up into the connectivity of all humankind, and every other talented person with the art or the business or the ideas will be able to connect with everybody else in the world and maybe make a living or maybe impress everybody else. This is what I'm excited about. And this is what gaming industry is doing right now. Great. So let's talk about, you're in the United States now. You've been here for a while. And as I mentioned earlier, we've had a couple of Ukrainian entrepreneurs on our show. And it's been a pretty tough year with the war. How are you coping with the war as a Ukrainian uh, uh, individual, but entrepreneur in, in your business? Has it affected you at all? Yeah, what had just happened uh, in February 24th, uh, I was in the conference in Las Vegas and I couldn't believe that it happened because in my humble opinion, this is so stupid thing to do. In 2022, you build Web3, you build AI, you build like the calling on Mars, you, you can do so many things and you still come back to something people have been doing 100 years ago. Why? It makes no sense for me. But it did change a lot because I had my family in Ukraine, I had my home in Ukraine as well, and I had my team in Ukraine as well. Oh, lots of efforts, lots of good stories and bad stories. Like three weeks before the invasion, we took all the people, we rented out the plane, and we sent them off to the neighboring country, no, almost neighboring, to the Montenegro. And I said, like, I feel that something is going to happen. If it doesn't, then we just spend a month in Montenegro. It's a warmer country, and we like it's a, a community event. We'll just spend time together. But if something happens, we're in control. 
because I've seen what happened when the war started in 2014 and everything went like crazy shit show. I did see yeah. on your gaming community that you have raised some money for relief. Yeah, we did. And I spent my own money, but like a lot, and we raised a lot of money. And like one of the things I'm proud about, we started the group, Ukrainian Leaders Against War. And we started emailing and then calling and then having Zoom calls with congressmen and senators of the United States, informing them about what's actually happening. Because for me, I didn't quite realize right away that I get lots of information right out, like from like firsthand from Ukraine, but not everybody in the US at that time had that possibility. So we used all our time, efforts, and what we could to share what was happening in Ukraine, all the atrocities, and to ask for help. Again, this is another story in my life, which, well, good story, but um, as I said, I was born and raised in Ukraine. I've been a very active part of uh, the first revolution we had, I think it was 2004, and then I was active part of the second revolution we had. So I had a very active political position in Ukraine. However, honestly, I didn't believe in like in, in the everyday politics by a lot. But then some magic happened, and that, again, it's a very important experience in my life. When uh, we've been talking to the center of California, uh, Ms. Feinstein, and uh, we had a conversation with her office, and we shared what's happening, and they uh, that Ukraine needs help, and they take, uh, took a lot of notes, they returned back with the notes, and then after that, they, using our notes, they created a letter uh, from the Senate to uh, the President, Biden, and the uh, President, according to that petition, that was the uh, first, I think, billion dollars he actually brought to Ukraine to help with the war and such. And uh, it was so crazy because I've seen in a week how democracy can actually work. I understand it wasn't just us who made it. But for me, it was you're getting on the call with a team of senator, you're telling them what's actually happening. They're like, oh, well, okay, we'll take notes. Then they form a letter. They send the letter and bring it to Biden. And Biden, oh, okay, we need to have a $1 billion. And my wife is saying that was the most successful and quickest fundraising in your life. Maybe, but at least now I believe in politics a little bit more. Entering the D-Market community is like stepping into a brave new world of the future. A giant social gaming marketplace where all manner of virtual goods are being traded for crypto, cash, and credit. The platform is at the intersection of five important growth trends in the gaming industry. Advanced social games, virtual goods trading, fashion, esports, and blockchain. Whichever one of these trends comes out ahead, it's clear Vlad's onto something big. And we can't wait to see how his vision for the metaverse comes to life. Thank you for listening. Follow Before It Happened on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood. And all episodes are written and developed by Susanna Camp with additional editing and music provided by Noda Lab.